Welcome to the See Differently Project with your host, Renee Balcom. Over the next hour, you'll learn what you should expect from your care provider and how to take charge of your care needs. Hear from the experts. Now, here's Renee Balcom. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the See Differently Project. I'm your host, Renee Balcom, and I'm very excited about having uh, our uh, guest today, David Fear Jr. Uh, Dave was with us before we had a wonderful and amazing conversation about uh, the Medicare system and the single payer uh, uh you know, proposals that are going around the state of California and possibly in your state as well. And so it was just such a lively conversation. It was so informative that we felt having Dave back for an encore would be great. There was a lot of information that we weren't able to get to in our first hour together. So it definitely deserved a second hour. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Dave. Uh, Dave's a 20-year veteran of the insurance business, and if you could see him, you he must have started when he was 12 because he can't be too much over the age of 30. So he started very young, I'm assuming. Um, he uh, started working in his family's insurance agency, Fear Insurance Services, and then later became uh, started his working as a general agency. Um, and became a broker and consultant for Shepler and Fear General Agency. Um, Dave has uh, went gone back into the retail side of insurance and is working with uh, now with Eureka Insurance Services and is a producing agent and partner in the firm of Eureka Insurance Agents. He's also uh, very, and, and part of the very reason I wanted him, he's such a great expert on the subject of, of uh, the one-payer system. Dave sets, sits as the chair of the legislation, legislative chair for the California Association of Health Underwriters, uh, now called California Agents and Health Insurance Professionals. Uh, he's the former president of the Sacramento Association of Health Underwriters, and he served at the, as the CAHU membership chair in 2012 and 2014. So he has uh, has had had a great has had a long and great run as a legislative chair for the Sacramento chapter of KHIP, and he's definitely our expert. Um, in the insurance industry from a legislative point of view. Um, he's attended more than 15 capital conferences in Washington, D.C. with the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals, and he meets often with local officials uh, to lobby on behalf of the care, healthcare reform and healthcare industry. So anyway, with no further delay, Dave, welcome today. We're happy to have you back. Thanks for coming back. Well, it's uh, nice to be back. Thank you for, for having me. Um, and yes, I am a little bit over 30. <laughs> well, you can't prove it by me, I'll tell you that. Well, thank you. Well, we definitely, you know, when we were last together, we had we covered so much ground. I hope it was as enjoyable for you as it was for us. It was. Um, a great conversation about kind of, you know, starting on on this whole single payer, one payer system and led us to a couple other things, exploring Medicare. And um, I look forward to kind of touching on some of those things again today and, and going down any of the routes you'd like to go. Good. Well, I'm excited. Um, well, let's go back just to bring the audience up to speed on some of the conversation we'd has had previously. Can we go back and talk about um, just the different terms of, of our 
of the business of insurance because I think that can be really, really confusing. And if we can go back and just kind of cover some of that information, like what's the difference between Medicare and Advantage? Um, you know, what is a single payer system? What does that even mean? And can you just enlighten us? I know we've gone through this before, but just kind of as a review. Sure. So especially when we talk about healthcare reform, um, you you will hear different words that mean different things, but they are kind of used interchangeably. And I think that it makes sense a little bit to kind of talk about that. Um, and again, on, on with regards to healthcare reform, you know, saying, hey, this isn't working, let's start over and let's do this type of system. And you'll a lot of times hear uh, the word universal healthcare, uh, single payer, um, Medicare for all, and socialized medicine and universal coverage. Um, these are all things that actually technically mean different things. Um, but a lot of times when politicians or, or activists are kind of um, um, saying we need to to change things up, they will use those words interchangeably. So it is um, good to know, and I'll just very quickly let you know that, you know, can, the difference between a universal system um, is that really it's not saying who is in charge, just that everybody does have some type of coverage. Single payer is when the government is the payer of all medical bills. Um, and they control all the, uh, not only paying the bills, but they also create the plans and um, really kind of control the whole thing. Um, socialized medicine, oh, I, excuse me, let me back up. Um, on single payer, they do not own doctors' hospitals. They're just paying for them and then design the, the, the benefit plans. On socialized medicine, they actually do, um, the government uh, owns the the facilities the hospitals the doctors their employees of the government um and then medicare for all is a very different and that's kind of on our last conversation we went down that route because i had mentioned that i actually think that medicare for all um does make a lot of sense but the problem is is there's a confusion of what that means um and, and medicare for all they will use it a, a, in that same sense of healthcare, you know, single payer, government's in charge, kind of referencing our Medicare program. But as we discussed, Medicare um, is not, you know, the government running everything, um, nor is it determining necessarily what every, the same coverage everybody has to have. Um, and so we kind of, that's the, 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 the path that, again, I think actually does make sense but it's confused a lot with um, a lot of the healthcare reform advocates on what exactly it is. Um, uh, Renee, do you want me to kind of, should we keep going down the, the, the Medicare yeah. path? Yeah, okay. I think, I think so. You know, I, I know that, um, you know, in California, we were serving uh, 40 million people now. I believe that's the number um, in uh, Medicare, Medi-Cal and Medicare services. Well, um, there's, there's about 40 million people in the state. Um, okay. and about a fourth of them, um, are on Medicaid, which in okay. California is Medi-Cal. Okay. Um, and there's a, there's kind of a, um, you know, Medicare, Medicaid sound very similar, but they're different. Medicare for the most part covers our are senior citizens and those uh, citizens who um, are disabled uh, below age 65. And Medicaid 
pays for the coverage for those who are um, poor, uh, don't have the financial means to be able to pay for it. Um, and so very easy, quickly, Medicare for the old, Medicaid or Medi-Cal in California for the poor. Um, and be, uh, so, like I said, Medi Medicaid or Medi-Cal um, is actually more than a fourth of our state now. Um, and then as far as how many Medicare folks, um, I believe that number is right around five to six million. Um, so a little uh, about 12 percent. Um, and then the the and then you have VA veterans. Um, uh, they they are a chunk of it as well. I don't know that number, um, but I will just say that the the largest chunk is still private insurance through their employer, um, and that makes up about um, two not not exactly two thirds, but somewhere right around um, uh, fifty to sixty percent of the state are covered under private plans through their employer. Okay. So, so California is not then uh, kind of a universal care system in the state of California still. Well, uh, the governor had said we've essentially reached universal care or universal coverage. And the reason why is because when you look at the statistics, we are about 90, it varies, but let's just say 96% of the residents in this state have some type of coverage, whether it is through Medicare, Medicaid, uh, private plan, uh, VA, or, or other. There's only actually a very small segment of Californians who don't have any coverage. And so that's where the governor actually came from in saying that basically California has reached universal coverage. Gotcha. Okay. For the most part, everybody has something. Okay. I misunderstood that. I thought he, what he was saying was that we were... Uh, primarily, the majority of people were being covered by state or federal benefits. That's how I I took that. Not that the majority of people in California are insured. Well, and and that might be right. You know, like I said, I I, I thought the employer based coverage was just about fifty to sixty percent. But you know, since the pandemic, that that number might have changed, and it might be you know because basically you got the uh, the private side making up that big chunk for employers, but really everything else is government. It okay. is Medicare, Medicaid, VA. And so it is possible that when you add all those other things together, that they are now more than 50%. Okay. Well, you know, it's funny because um, we've yet over the years, this, and again, this is a subject matter for our audience. This is a subject that's been around for a couple of decades now, right, Dave? Yes, it's it really started in the 90s. Okay. So when you remember back in the day when they were calling it Obamacare or uh the ACA uh uh what is that? Um, the ACA, Affordable Care Act. Yeah, Affordable Care Act, which was Obamacare, correct? Yes, and technically it was the PPACA, the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act. Okay. Well, God knows why we're all confused. Because yeah, and and yes, it was labeled Obamacare. We keep changing the the subject line on our memo, don't we? So yeah, yeah. pretty interesting. Well, let me ask you a question. You know, is ACA good or bad? What do you think? Um, you know, it, that is a great question, and I would tell you, especially now that we are ten years, actually more than ten years later, 
Um, the law was originally signed uh, in 2010 and then basically reconfirmed in 2012 and then it really started to roll out about 10 years ago. And tw- 2014 is when it kind of rolled out. And I remember at the time there was calls, especially of people in my industry, that, you know, this was the end, this was socialized medicine, and we're all going to be out of a job. Um, um, however, you know, um, in the, the group of the agents in California, um, uh, the uh, California Association, or uh, Agents and Benefits, and I forget our acronym, but, but the, the, yes. I know we, because they changed that too, right? Right. We just so, changed our, our, uh, our association name and got rid of the, the word underwriter. Cause that really wasn't appropriate to what we do. Right. And so now we're the, uh, uh, benefits and insurance professionals. Okay. Um, and, and, uh, California kind of actually at that time took a controversial stance and actually, and did support it. Um, one of the, the, the early adopters saying, all right, we're, you know, we understand that in California, we're going to do this. We're going to implement it. Um, agents came to the table and said, all right, let's figure out how to make this work. Um, and so that concept of, of is it good or is it bad, I actually do think there were some really good aspects of it, um, uh, of the ACA, the best being uh, making it accessible. You know, pre-ACA, um, it was really hard to buy an individual plan. Um, if I remember trying to sell somebody an individual plan, uh, somebody I want to say in their mid forties and they put on their application that they, they occasionally took ibuprofen and that application was denied. Wow. Um, you know, I remember that, uh, we got to a point that almost all individual plans in the state were excluding pregnancy, which is kind of a problem. Um, and, and so the affordable care act did, uh, um, in my opinion, a good job of, of standardizing what coverages are. You're going to cover these things. Everybody's going to cover these things. Uh, and we're going to kind of set a, a understanding that, you know, and that's where the metal tiers came from, bronze, silver, gold, and platinum, is the government basically said, these are the things that are going to be covered on a health insurance plan. And I think that was good, although there was a bad aspect of it, and I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, the other good... Um, so, so you made it so that everybody could buy coverage. You could no longer be tur- uh, uh, turned away for health reasons, which was good. Um, and um, it made it so the access issue was really touched on and I think kind of fixed because um, it wasn't easy to get. And, and, and the two sides were kind of always fighting about access versus price. And that is where um, I do think that the ACA did not do a good job on and, and really it didn't do there wasn't much in it at all to control cost. Cost, um, unfortunately, uh, was uh, in many ways inflated under the ACA um, uh, that that occurred. You know, when you when you you have to cover all these certain things, there's a price for doing it, and so you saw the the cost of plans um, really jump in 2014 to t- about 2016, I, and I mean, in some cases, you know. On the low end, it was 20% increases, and on the high end, I remember giving out groups with a 60% rate increase in one year. Um, and so that, that's where the, the Affordable Care Act didn't do a great job, was, a, a, was controlling cost. And in my opinion, I think that is the number one problem with our healthcare system, is the cost aspect of it. You know, if I could wave a wand and magically all health insurance in this this state and country went down to a third of its cost, I think all our other problems go away. But it's that cost issue that's the biggest deal. And unfortunately, the ACA didn't touch on it 
and in many ways just exacerbated it, exacerbated it and made it worse. And and still within the ACA, the the costs and the pricing is established by the provider, correct? Yeah. Um, but they, they also instituted a thing called MLR medical loss ratios and basically said, all right, for every $1 that you bring in, in insurance premium, you know, 85% of it has to be going towards the cost of care. Meaning, you know, as far as, uh, paying the, for the building of the insurance agency and paying for the, the executives and, and processors, you know, they had a 15% uh, margin basically, um, that they were allowed to work on. And, and that actually has been a fairly good thing. Um, again, it did result in uh, higher costs though, but I do think for them, and, and I don't want to get too far down that road of how that worked, but it, it, it did raise our premiums. But at the same time, it does make it so that you know that 85% of all healthcare dollars are paying, being paid going towards the cost of care. Wow. Okay. So, so since we're on the subject and we're early in the year this year, um, I'd like to ask you to, to comment if you can on, you know, when during the heart of COVID and during the pandemic, um, people were receiving their benefits, um, it usually and oftentimes at a very, very low cost, if any cost out of pocket at all. And then in December, and we, as at our agency in healthcare advocacy, we've had a couple of our clients where suddenly their cost of insurance went from like zero to four hundred dollars a month. But and and you know then they had to kind of reapply and was able to get the cost back down. What what is that about, Daya? Do you have any idea? I do. Um, although I, I think we need to take a quick break, right? We can, you know, pause on that question a minute because I think it's going to be a pretty good answer and I think it's going to be pretty informative for everyone. So um, we're going to head off to a break and we'll be back with Dave Fear. Thank you. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The See Differently Project will deliver us out of the echo chamber that we live in and educate and empower our listeners about the business of care. The care industry from cradle to grave encompasses a multitude of service providers. Some of these providers must have licenses and some do not. It depends on the state you reside in. Nonetheless, this multi-trillion dollar industry continues to grow. Money exploited from consumers through this industry in 2022 exceeded $63 billion. Our mission at the See Differently Project is to educate and empower our listeners by bringing guests on who are professional experts in their care field, opening the dialogue, informing our listeners, and answering your questions. You will walk away with a new perspective and empowerment over your care needs. The See Differently Project is hosted by Renee Balcom, the nation's leading healthcare advocate, on Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. 
Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to the See Differently Project. Have a question for Renee or her guest? Join us on the show at 866-472-5787. That's 866-472-5787. Now, back to the show. Well, welcome back, everyone. Uh, We're here with uh, Mr. David Fear Jr., and we're talking about all things Medicare and um, the single-payer system. Just before we left for our break, I had asked Dave about the shifts that have happened during the pandemic and some of the things that I'm seeing as a healthcare advocate that we're seeing people struggle with where they had uh, insurance that maybe had no cost to suddenly having kind of a $400 a month um, uh, bill to then reapplying and going back to, you know, a small out-of-pocket expense. So Dave was just going to explain that and how that happened and what's going on with that so that we can all understand. So Dave, the floor is yours, sir. Sure. So, so what, and I would count this as a good part of the ACA, um, is that it provided a way for those people who were not eligible for Medi-Cal or Medicaid, um, but yet still didn't really have enough money to be able to pay the the, the full cost of care. And so they introduced the thing, um, subsidies, where the government would actually pay on behalf of uh, a, 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 a person um, or an eligible person, uh, the cost of the care. And so um, that's what uh, in California is our state-based exchange is covered California, and that's where you would go if um, you are between 138 percent of federal poverty and 400 percent of federal poverty. And it was a slight; it is a sliding scale of how much, depending on how much you make, um, the government would assist you in paying your medical premiums. Um, you know, I, I actually just signed up somebody yesterday for uh, one of these plans. Um, they were making just uh, on a very small pension, uh, a family of three uh, were making just um, over that that the limit that uh, allows them to go to Medicaid, Medi-Cal or Medicaid. Sorry, I get the words confused. Um and and so they instead qualified through it for a subsidized plan. The subsidized plan has a zero dollar deductible, fifteen dollar office visit, copay, five dollars for drugs, and it costs them six dollars a month for uh, the family, um, where the government is actually subsidizing them based on their income, uh, somewhere around two thousand four hundred dollars a month. Um, and and so that's kind of what what you're touching on is when people go to the exchange, um, they're able to get these subsidized plans. Now, what happened during the pandemic? Um, in many ways, we lost our mind. And and basically, when it came to healthcare, 
kind of um, what what was said is, all right, all rules are off. Anybody can apply for any plan. Uh, you can get into Medi-Cal if you, um, you know, basically if you say so, you can get a subsidized plan if you say so. Just tell us what you think you, you're, you're making or not making, and we'll go ahead and get you the coverage. Um, uh, the idea being during the middle of the pandemic, you know, let's get everybody good health insurance in case, um, you know, they, they suffer from, from um, the, the, the COVID virus. Well, as we got out of the pandemic, or as we are getting out of the pandemic now, um, a lot of those rules that they kind of set by the side as far as, you know, prove to us how much you're actually making, um, and we'll give you a plan and put you in Medi-Cal or give you these subsidized plans, um, started to go away. They they basically said, you need to start showing us what you're making. And so that is really, um, as you're saying, Renee, that that people have gone from paying almost nothing for their insurance and their their care to now getting big chunks is big, that's why is they're basically being kicked out of the system and being told you have to prove to us that you qualify for this otherwise you know y- you're going to pay. Okay, so really the right procedure for that individual is go back in and reapply. Don't just take this new bill that's coming to you and accept that as the fait accompli that there may be another avenue or another uh, uh, part of the scale that you would qualify for. You just have to go in and qualify for it. That's right. And actually, right now um, is the time to do that because uh, open enrollment is coming to an end here at the end of this month. Okay. So, so we're on a real, like literally days to get that done then. So anyone that's listening in our audience, if this has happened to you, then you can reach out to an agent, right? Or you can even go on to your state exchange yourself and reapply. Is that correct, Dave? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are agents that will work with uh, that work with Covered California, or you can work directly with them. It's a it's a good partnership that, that you know uh, an example of health agents understand that they can't get to everybody, and so they help as much as they can. But Covered California also has a big staff, um, and and that's probably the way to go. Okay. All right. Good. And and here's another question. So so. On ACA, what do you feel like, what what do you feel like the areas of improvement, like as an example for this? I mean, I would love to see them have an extension for people that didn't understand. You know, it's interesting because some things move very slowly and some things move very quickly. And for people to get bills in December that they have to be able to react to this insurance requirement by the end of January some people just don't even know how to react. So would, I would love to see an extension on that. I don't know if that's even possible at this point, but um, what areas would you like to see the ACA improve in? Well, um, extensions are very possible. It has happened multiple times over the years. Um, you know, part of the, 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 the deal of making insurance guaranteed issue, meaning no more health questions, no more being turned down for taking ibuprofen, um, is that there would have to be a... a, a finite window of when people could sign up for it. And so that's what's going on. And, and um, currently that window opens up in November 1st and goes through the end of January. And that's it. it is, if you apply during that window, no questions asked, you can get uh, insurance. Um, and uh, honestly, the same thing happens on most of us for um, uh, those who are covered under employer-based systems. It's not necessarily that same window, but you know the employer plans, again, have an open enrollment window where no questions asked, you can get added, make changes, whatever the case is. Um, and so 
you know, there is a reason to do that because otherwise, if you could come on and off of uh, insurance at any time, you know, the the issue would be people who say, I don't want to pay for that until I'm having this issue and then I'll pay for it. And then as soon as that, that's fixed, I'm out. And so it's kind of a way to be able to stabilize insurance companies and not paying just for only sick people, but making sure they have a healthy pool of both um, sick and healthy. Mm-hmm. Um and so, so to your question, yes, it can be extended. I'm not sure it will this year. They have in years past. And typically when there's special circumstances, they will. Natural disasters and such. Um, but otherwise, and you can make changes during the year. You just have, to, they have to be qualified events, special reasons, which are typically changes in family situation or financial situation, losing jobs, gaining jobs. Those are typically reasons that they'll allow you to make changes or enroll outside of the open enrollment window. Um, as far as other things that I would like to see the ACA do, um, you know, I, I think that um, there needs to be th- this concept, and I touched on a, a little bit on our last call. Um, you know, w- the ACA, again, well intended this concept of MLR, medical loss ratios, being at 85%. Um, you know, in theory, that, that makes a lot of sense. Let's make 85 cents of every dollar go towards cost of care. Well, what has happened um, in, in the system without pointing fingers at necessarily anyone, um, when people have wanted to make more money uh, using this, this system, um, you know, it, knowing that you're, you have this cap of 15% that, that you're making your whole, you're running your company on, company on, um, and the doctors and providers, I shouldn't say doctors, they're not the bad guys, but when providers in general, um, come and say, here's our cost for this, this thing. You know, it used to be the role of the insurance agent, uh, insurance company to say, well, that's too expensive. Let's negotiate that, that price down to something more affordable. And then, you know, and they would tout the fact that, Hey, you know, at, at ABC company, we're able to, uh, slash all of the costs that the providers, you know, originally give to us by 60%. And that's why we ha- are so valuable. Well, what kind of occurred under the ACA is there, that that incentive to negotiate that price down from the provider kind of went away because sure, you know, if, if we start off at this really high number and then negotiate it down, that MLR makes it so that they're only able to make their, their you know, essentially that 15% uh, margin on that this smaller number so why they kind of came to the realization of well if we're going to take our 15 percent margin why not leave it at the higher number and not negotiate it down and so that has actually caused inflation and healthcare costs over the years um and so one of the things i'd like to see addressed is stop allowing providers to basically say here's our cost um because this gets really bad on that on the hospital system Hospitals, when they say, I'm going to charge, you know, we're going to charge X for this procedure, a lot of times that X starts at a number that it's not based in anything. It is just, it's like the the person decided, hey, this is a fun number. I'm going to use this. We'll start our negotiating, you know, for uh, this procedure at at X number. And it's crazy. Mm -hmm. And I believe that really... We shouldn't allow that to happen. We need to have a standard of what those costs should be and kind of start from there. 
Um, and I, I believe that using Medicare and the way that they pay providers as their base point would be the, the way to do it. Um, that's a lot of times referred to as referenced base pricing, um, where rather than take the, the, the um, hospital saying, uh, you know, for that hospital bed, we're going to charge $10,000 a day because that's what we want. Um, and then negotiating based off that, Medicare actually says, okay, um, uh, when, when a provider agrees to take Medicare, they actually have to provide to Medicare all their costs. And so they have to give, um, you know, the, the, the cost of that bed, the cost of the, uh, the, the, the facilities, the workers comp, the, the cost for the electricity, the heating. Um, I mean, everything goes into, they have to show that to Medicare to say, here's how much for that hospital bed we need to stay open. And there is a number and Medicare knows that number. And they say, okay, that number is your break at even. Um, uh, you know, you're the, 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 you're not going into the red, but you're also not making a profit. That's your number. And we'll go ahead and pay that plus a small percentage above it. So we will actually guarantee that when Medicare pays you, you're going to make a small profit on, on that service. And so, and it's a number that is actually pretty fair. Um, again, it's not a giant profit for the provider, but it's something that allows them to, to say, okay, if I'm taking Medicare as my payment, I know I'm not losing money. Um, we're going to do a little bit better than break even. And so, and, and then Medicare does allow uh, for providers to then uh, bill on top of that number to, to the consumer, uh, but only at a certain percent. And, and so again, in the end, when, when somebody, uh, a Medicare person goes to the hospital for that bed, um, they're not making a, a killing off of them, but they're also not losing money on them. Okay. Um, and so that is the concept that I think really needs to grow, where we use Medicare and their information they have to start setting the prices for the cost of care. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I think using that as our starting point and not saying I'm not saying that everyone should have to accept the Medicare pricing as payment in full. But I do think let's at least start there with that number of what that bed costs and then go from there. And insurance companies can choose to, you know, pay more uh, than that number or less than that number. And, you know, uh, like uh, consumers can do the same. But I think we need to be more clear and transparent on what the actual cost for healthcare services are. And we're getting there, but we're, we are not there yet. Well, and I, I thought they even passed a law on transparency and care that we, you know, several years ago where the hospitals uh, were supposed to be uh, preparing to be able to demonstrate their costs and their pricing to the consumer as well as the insurance providers. Is that is that what you're talking about? There's, are they still on track for that? Are they? I know in my experience, I'm not seeing a lot of you know advertising or transparency in what the cost is going to be for a client that may be going in the hospital. So, um, so I don't know what really happened with that program. I don't know that. Um, it was being monitored well, and so it's kind of fallen by the wayside or backburnered. What is what is that? That's basically part of what we're talking about here, right? Yeah, and and there 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 have been several laws over the years at, at states and and fe not to, and federally um, that help, but yeah. they haven't. And so the the law you're referencing it it did occur and it is working. It's just not 
you know, health, large companies uh, and governments and anything you want don't make quick changes. And right. so they are becoming more, that, that's what I was saying, that they are becoming more transparent based on some laws that are being passed and have passed, and they're doing a better job. It is, you know, if you want to see pricing uh, for, for care now, it is a hundred times better than it was 10 years ago. That's because 10 years ago, it was basically, when you ask, well, what does that cost? You, you got a giant middle finger back saying, we don't have to tell you anything. So it yeah. is a much better than it once was, but it's not as clear and transparent and easy for a regular consumer to understand as it should be. Okay. Okay. Well, at least there's some progress where that's concerned. Yeah. Um, I know, I know uh, we're getting, a, getting ready to go for a break, but here's another quick question on the same subject. Um, every year, this is more of a federal question, and then when we get back, we're going to talk some more about Medicare because I need you to tell us more about that and some of the nuances of Medicare and Medicare Advantage. But in, um, it is, it's a requirement now when we file our taxes that we have proof of insurance, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. There's a document. So, and again, I think people are still, and I know that's been happening for a couple of years, um, but I think there's still people that are confused by that, that they actually need to have some kind of document of record. And I forget what it's called, but, um, but I just wanted to state that, you know, for our listeners that you are required to have a, a tax form that proves out that you have insurance because it's a requirement in the United States to be insured. Correct, Dave? That is correct. It's a 1095 form, and it basically says whether you had coverage or not. And when you file your taxes, you have to do that. And if you don't prove you had coverage, yes, you will get a penalty. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. When we get back, we're going to explore Medicare, Medicare Advantage. What's the difference? Why is Medicare Advantage becoming popular? And what should you expect from Medicare Advantage? And then we'll um, close the show just kind of talking about what's referred to as the triangle, the iron triangle of healthcare. So we'll get into that when we get back. We come back in a few minutes. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment 
health and wellness, and more. We'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to the See Differently Project. Have a question for Renee or her guest? Join us on the show at 866-472-5787. That's 866-472-5787. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Renee Balcom, and I'm here with our guest, uh, Mr. David Fear Jr. And we're talking about all things um, uh, ACA and Medicare and Medicaid and um, the uh, uh, single payer system. So before we went on break, I kind of asked Dave a question about the federal law for coverage that we are um, in the United States. We're required to have uh, health care coverage or risk penalty if we choose not to. So um, we took a break, but I wanted to come back and kind of dive into that a little bit. Like, uh, what is the penalty? What is that, you know, how does that affect people? And how do they actually collect that penalty? So Dave, you know, can you can you walk us through that? Sure. Um, that concept, uh, you know, uh, when, when the ACA passed, um, there was that debate of wanting to make sure that, that um, you know, people could all get access care um, and at the same time still make it so that the insurance companies and the payers, the current payers, um, you know, the uh, insurance companies of the of the country would want to participate. And and so they look to other countries. Um, uh, there's a few I, I, I should have uh, brushed up on this, but I believe Germany is one of them. And, and there's many others throughout the, the world that basically say um, every citizen has to have have coverage um you know you you have to buy it yourself so that we can make sure that the pool for other insurance stays good meaning um uh you know we have both the healthy and the sick in there and so it's a good pool uh, of people all together so uh, th that it remains affordable for for everyone um and so you do that by by saying all right everybody has to be in the pool and how do you mandate people to be in the pool you do it by by saying get in or you pay a penalty um, and so that was part of the ACA and it has continued. Um, uh, the, the, if you do not have credible coverage, um, and again, credible coverage is defined as Medicare, as Medicaid, um, and a bronze plan or better, um, uh, as far as private insurance goes, um, then you get penalized and the, that the, the penalty is either $696 per person, $395 per kid, or and it's always the or, 2.5% of your income. Um, and so those people who choose to go without coverage, they do pay a penalty when they file their taxes. And that's what that 1095 form is. That is the actual form um, that when you your tax preparer um, uh, would upload and send to the, the IRS showing that, you know, Dave had cover credible coverage, uh, you know, these 12 months of the year. And if I didn't, then I would pay a uh, prorated um uh, uh, tax or, or a penalty of 2.5% of my, my income towards uh, not having that coverage. And so that's kind of their way to, to get us all to play in the pool so that that pool stays healthy. 
Okay. And, and is that working or is, you know, are people being compliant to that? Or are you seeing a, uh, that there's a group of people not being compliant? Um, so that's a question. And then the other question that comes to my mind is, do we receive some kind of document from the insurance carrier that says, you know, Renee Balcom is a, is a client and carrier of our insurance? Yeah. Okay. So I saw it. You remember this law is now 10 years old. More, right. Yeah. 10 years old. And it definitely did not happen right away. Uh, you Because remember, you know, if you don't have insurance in 2024, you won't even feel that penalty until you file your taxes in March of 25. Mm -hmm. And so it, it has taken time for people to, to feel that. But I would tell you that as I went out there and spent, I mean, this is most uh, among the young and healthies, you know, the 20 to, to 40 working crowd are the typically the healthiest and they were the ones that kind of looked at numbers and said, wait a second. So you want me to pay for insurance that costs, you know, $400 a month uh, or, or, you know, $4,800 a year or pay a penalty. And it's the penalty is going to cost me $1,200 when I do my taxes. Well, I I'll choose to go ahead and do that. And so, you know, uh, people can do the math and they sometimes would f or figure that out for themselves. I found that as Prior to um, the pandemic, actually, more and more people were starting uh, work. You know that those healthy workers would basically say, "Well, how much is insurance? Because I, I I've paid that penalty. You know, uh, of however much it was. You know, two point five percent of their income uh, the last several years, and and maybe I should get this insurance. And so actually, I I did see that it was starting to work uh, amongst the young and healthy crowd pre-pandemic, and then unfortunately the pandemic kind of screwed everything up in many ways. And, um, it's, you know, where everybody basically had coverage, the penalty was waived, um, under Trump, the federal penalty was waived. And then California said, we'll forget that we'll, we'll just implement it here at the California level. Um, and now it's gone back at the, the, the federal level. And so there's kind of been off and on with it during that whole, you know, uh, Trump presidency and then pandemic. And so I, I'm not seeing that the penalty is really making a giant effect right now but i imagine once things kind of calm down um post pandemic um uh that that you will see the young healthy workers kind of decide eh, i'm tired of paying that penalty I, i'm going to get back in and start playing again yeah and and i would i would tell you i do agree with you i think we have seen an elevated consciousness regarding the necessity for insurance that maybe we didn't see 10 years ago and um, so I do think even though maybe younger people may not be buying it yet, or maybe they're looking at the exchanges and finding their place within the exchange, you know, financially, um, the very fact that they're looking at the exchanges is a step forward for them, right? right. So, so and right. that they're even aware of the exchanges is a step forward. So I do think that consciousness is kind of growing with regard to the subject. Yeah, and 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 just very quickly, the 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 ten ninety five forms. There's an A, B, and C. Without boring you with the details, the insurance company is the one who sends that to you, saying um, it's the ten ninety five B, saying you've had credible coverage. And then if you work for a large employer who is required to offer coverage, the the employer is sending you a ten ninety five C, saying basically we made it affordable for you. Okay, got it. Okay, um, yeah, I just put all of my tax documents in a folder and hand them to my CPA. So I'm sure that that document's in there and I've just never paid it. So do I. So do I. 
you know, so bad me. I might want to open that envelope and read it at some point, but uh, I just hand the whole thing to him. So, hey, we're going to segue over to Medicare and Medicare Advantage. Um, Why are we seeing, you know, you can't turn the TV on at a certain hour of the day that Medicare Advantage isn't kind of blasting everywhere. And so we're starting to see that becoming very popular. Tell us about that. Why are the ads on all the time? What are we missing? Some people, some providers seem to be offering a lot, others not as much. And I'm just curious about that because I know there's rules to that, correct? Yeah. So, so, you know, uh, we talked earlier about windows of, of, uh, enrollment opportunity. And um, the main window for Medicare is uh, annual open enrollment per- or annual election period is um, October 15th to December 7th. And that's where most people for their prescription drug plans and Medicare Advantage plans, they can make changes. And so you were seeing lots and lots of advertisements during that uh, up to that window and then during that window. Um, some really annoying commercials, uh, which ladies with giant glasses telling me I need to look at stuff. Um, and, and so that's what that is, is it, uh, Medicare Advantage companies really trying to get you to, to call them and say, what are you talking about? What are these extra benefits? Um, the reason it's still going is because uh, right now uh, through uh, uh, the end of February, um, they basically allow a one-time switch. If you got in a Medicare Advantage plan that basically somebody didn't tell you the truth on, you can change one time. Um, uh, the, I'm not going to get into all the details, but that we're in a period right now where there can still be some changes, but only if you qualify. Whereas in the normal time um, in, in the fall, there's no questions asked. Anybody can change for any reason. Um, so Medicare Advantage, I always kind of tell people, because I, I have a lot of Medicare clients, and most of them are on Medicare supplements, meaning they're on original Medicare, and then they buy a supplement on top of it. And they say, what is this Medicare Advantage stuff that I see on TV? And what I try to do, I, I try to give them both the pros and the cons. Um, I sell Medicare Advantage, and I think it's fine, but I just want to make sure that you know people understand what it is. Um, they see the pros. The pros that you see advertised on TV are... Um, you know, low cost and lots of extra stuff, extra benefits they'll throw in. Um, and so, and that's true. A lot of times, you know, um, uh, a Medicare supplement plan, whether it's an F or a G, you know, uh, it, are anywhere between 150 and $350 a month for, for being on original Medicare and then buying a supplement on top of it. And um, they're great coverage, but uh, they don't offer dental or vision or hearing and or some of these other things. And Medicare Advantage can. Um, you know what's going on with Medicare Advantage is is um, they're able to actually provide a, a, a policy at in some cases zero dollars a month. And so when you have multiple carriers like in a geographical area that are all vying for cu- consumers. Um, at zero dollars, how do you entice them to come over and buy your product or sign up for your product? And that's where they start throwing in the extra stuff, the dental division. I know some of them are even doing um, $25 Uber Eats gift cards a month to try to entice people. Right. Um, And that's because they're in certain markets, typically larger metro areas that they have these multiple companies that are trying to get people sign up for zero dollars. And so those are both pros, zero dollars a month or low cost. I mean, typically the most expensive Medicare Advantage plan I've seen on the market is uh, about $90 a month. Um, And and they throw in these other things. Um, However, I, I warn people that 
it also there's a couple of negatives. Um, negative number one is unlike a Medicare uh, supplement where you pay nothing at, at, you know, for your care, you're paying a, a high monthly premium. But you know, on a, an F, for example, which is typically the most common uh, supplement plan, you pay zero, whether it's an office visit or open heart surgery. Mm. On Medicare Advantage, you do pay for it. You, you have office co-pays, you have uh, co-pays for days in the hospital, and there's out-of-pocket maximums. They range in out-of-pocket maximums for as low as about $3,000 and as high as $8,000 a year. So that is typically one of those things where I say they don't advertise that on TV, but beware, you will pay when you use your Medicare Advantage. Um, and then the other negative aspect, if I, if I had to say one for Medicare Advantage, is they also use networks. You know, the beautiful part about Medicare, original Medicare, is you can go see any provider in the country that accepts Medicare, and 97% of them do. So you have lots of freedom to, uh, to access care. On Medicare Advantage, um, the way they control their costs and, and, you know, offer really low premiums is by being networks. And so, you know, I always tell people, especially in the rural areas, you're not going to be able to find any doctors that are going to accept Medicare Advantage. Now, it's a whole other story when you get down into larger metro areas, you know, the Bay Area, LA, uh, you know, even Sacramento, San Diego, there, yeah. there's plenty of doctors, but, yeah. you know, so there's pros and there's cons. Yeah. Dave, I cannot believe we're coming up on our hour together. I swear we need to have you back because I have about 30 more questions for you. Um, so, you know, I hope you're open to coming back. There's Again, this is a complex and layered uh, process, I think. There's a lot of information for people to learn and absorb. We could spend, you know, another 30 minutes on Medicare, uh, straight original Medicare and Medicare Advantage. Um, but... Uh, we are pushing up on the hour, so they're signaling us. But uh, I want you to know how much I appreciate you. I hope you will come back and speak with us some more because I have, I mean, there's so many things going on in healthcare now. I want to talk to you about concierge medicine and private hospitals and some of the other options that are coming up for people that we haven't even begun to touch yet. So, um, so listen, everyone, I appreciate our listeners. Thank you so much, Dave, for being with us and for uh, your vast knowledge on the subject of Medicare um, and the healthcare system in general. Um, and to all of our listeners, we appreciate you. Uh, please call in. We'd love to hear from you. Um, check in and let us know what your thoughts are about these shows and about this subject. And um, we just really appreciate everyone uh, listening. And certainly, again, Dave, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your knowledge. And thank you again for being on our show this week. And we will reach out to you to schedule another visit if you're up for that. So, Sure. Um, it's my pleasure. Yeah, well, it's our pleasure. So anyway, thank you, everyone. Have a great week. Uh, we'll be back next week at the same time. And we're going to, uh, our guest next week is going to talk to us about uh, her experience in navigating the healthcare system with cancer, as well as um, working with her mother in, in um, taking the end of life cocktail and choosing to end her life. Uh, due to her own uh, healthcare journey. So listen to us next week. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the See Differently Project with your host, Renee Balcom. We hope we have given you some insight into the business of care, and we hope you are empowered in your own care needs. Until we talk again, have a wonderful week.